Here we go with yet another pre-recorded extravaganza. Yes, due to uh, situations on the ground, we have to um, we have to pre-record. Today. Oh dear, it's weird so, doing this in the daytime. It is weird doing it in the daytime. It's weird doing it sober. No, not we usually. Me. Are completely trashed by now by that no but I'm, I'm, I'm usually enjoying a beer during during the recording um but if i did that now i'd have to go take a nap after the show yes um but actually i'm, I'm gonna go take a nap after the show anyway so you know you can take a nap now if you want to <laughs> okay. i can entertain people with a song I'm, or something well i don't think you'd have to entertain them with a the song i'm sure you'll have plenty to say about this movie I have a couple of things to say. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But I'm nervous. I've been nervous all day to, to have this conversation with you. Um, but before we, before uh, Russia invades the Ukraine uh, and things get ugly. Um, well, they kind of already did that, I think. Well, I mean, on uh, metaphorically on the uh, show. Yes, I see it for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Stress levels are high. Lots of things happening. Amelia's show is in tech right now, as I've said before. So, so everything's everything's a little crazy right now. I'm glad to have a chance to do this because tonight got crazy. Tonight, but things are fine. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, I saw that um, the bottling situation has has now become a very serious deal. Yes, uh, I sent you that photograph of somebody else bottling our booze. Uh, I am so happy. That, that, that must have made you really happy. It's really interesting to see, you know, somebody else is doing it. I'm not having to blend and bottle and measure and do all that work. Although I got to tell you, there's something uh, there's something hard about giving it up. It's like sending your kid off to, to, to kindergarten to be cared for by somebody else. Um. And uh, they started bottling yesterday. They will finish tomorrow morning. Right. I will show up with a pickup truck and pick up uh, a, over 60 cases of our booze. And these are, these are sample bottles. These are giveaways um, um, for, uh, you know, for people to. Uh, for our listeners? Well, no, for our listeners, if they are influencers, okay, I see. The, the, these are sample bottles to give away to influencers and food critics and um, restaurants and distributors and people who might be interested in carrying it. I'm a food critic. Yeah. Um, and I'll bring you some the, the next time I see you. Um, Excellent. I, actually, uh, the next time I see you might be in May because I'm going to force you to come out here for some of the launch events. I have to see that happen um you've been watching have you had time to watch anything interesting um, or let anything my, nice? let me check my notes on that <laughs> let me see interesting I mean, hmm. other than this movie i've seen uh some interesting stuff i saw uh an elvis presley movie called clam bake which i think that we should cover i think we should okay. do a run of of presley movies okay um clam bake is the most ridiculous movie i've ever seen and i'd like to share that with people um all right i'm up for that yeah that you know that was uh that was the big excitement that was the big excitement in terms of viewing um how about yourself no the same old british detective yeah. stuff you know you know me and yes my british detectives 
the, the it, it's the all the detectives that wear sweaters. All the yeah in in Scotland and Wales and Northumbria, um, and sometimes in, in you know outside of Norway or something like that. Yeah, too. but I tell you, uh, watching this show Shetland, boy, does that make me want to go to the Shetland Island? It's you said, just, you said this on the show before. It must be really hitting a chord with you. It looks so beautiful. And also, you know, I was having a really interesting discussion with my son today, and he was talking about reading that he's been doing on, I don't know what you call it, but sociology and the history of the development of human societies and stuff. Right. And talking about how um, the, the, the way we live now is really um, anathema to our the way our brains work, that we're sort of meant to live in communities where you could walk to everything that you need, you know, you could walk in, in the course of a, an hour, you could walk to everything that you need. And, Brooklyn, and baby. what Brooklyn, Brooklyn, exactly. Or, yeah. you know, and so looking at this place, Shetland and realizing they live on an Island, everybody knows everybody that you can walk to the pub. You can want, you know, you know, if you want to be alone, you're alone in your place. But if you didn't want to be alone, you don't even have to call a friend. You can walk to the pub. And there are going to be people there who you know and can spend time with. Um, yes. And and he said something interesting. He said that's it's why for many people, their memory of college is their happiest memory because it's the last time for many people that they lived in that kind of situation. You living in Brooklyn still live in that situation. Yeah. Uh, are you suggesting that I'm immature? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that living in Brooklyn, you you yeah. you found a way to make that continue. I live in Irvine. Uh, I might as well be on the International Space Station. I can't get from where I am to yeah. anything of use to me in any way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that that would kind of be hard for me after living like this for so long, where I can really walk to whatever I need. Yeah, um, if, if you lived in Irvine, and whatever you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty great. I like that about New York. I always have. I know you do too. So yeah, if you lived in Irvine, you would kill yourself and then me. No, I would not do any killing. I don't. <laughs> don't say that. I never have. Won't do that. Okay. Um, I would damage your knees though, so you wouldn't be able to walk anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I yeah. learned that from the Terminator. Yeah. This is as a movie my, show, so I'm you know. Yeah, as my friend Jamie would say, tough but fair. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. How else are you? Is anyone going to trust what I say if I'm not also, if I'm not equal parts tough but fair? Well, let's hope that as we dive into the discussion of today's film, you can live up to that credo. I'm going to, I work hard at this. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is my therapy, and I work hard at controlling my rage impulses and. My anger flare-ups and my I'm white. I'm so scared to discuss this outs. movie. So it's okay. it, this has been a good test. So I thank you. <laughs> okay, so I guess we might as well dive in and let let my humiliation begin. No, sir. because because the challenge the challenge for me is going to be uh, to continue to be honest uh, in the face of <laughs> the onslaught. The, the panzer divisions of criticism that I feel are headed. You need not, you way. need not fear any kind of 
incursion uh, at all. Okay. This is this is uh, going to be a mixed time that you're going to have, but okay. Uh, overall warm, so not you know not. Oh, uh, oh I can, I can <laughs> breathe. I can breathe again. Overall, a warm uh, a warm feeling. Uh, so I I um you don't have to be afraid. I think that you will be afraid at the end of this. I'm doing some math, a little looking and searching, and I think by the, the at the the end of this month will be a moment of recognition. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I I planned the order of these films carefully. Yes. So that the Your reckoning the, is I, coming, but it's I don't yeah, think it's happening today. Because you know, I think I structured it. Uh, I tried to structure this month the way you would structure a screenplay. Right. We have the we have Notting Hill, the inciting incident. Right. Then we go to um, we go to uh, How to Steal a Million, which I think is going to be just uh, a romp. The plot will really get going. I think we'll enjoy each other's company. And it's is it not Audrey Hepburn? It's Audrey Hepburn and Peter O'Toole. What's huh. to say? Right. And and then a, a little suspense might creep in around the time of Pillow Talk, um, although we may see eye to eye. Uh, but then the final act is is going to be a conflagration. Well, like uh, any any great innovative, you know, play, it's going <laughs> to challenge its audience and it's going to leave us feeling, uh, you know, in new territory, which is who knows, good or bad. We don't really yeah. know. And we'll know each other better. At we, the will. End of this month. we will. We um, will. So uh, today's movie, 1999's Notting Hill. Starring, oh, I had a stroke. Starring Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I had a Those moment. The people in the movie, if that's what you're trying to say. Well, I looked. I looked down at my notes, and I saw Pretty Woman, and I was about. Then I. I almost said, "Starring Pretty Woman." Starring, and you were just like, starring, "Pretty Woman." Starring, starring pretty, a pretty woman. A pretty woman starred in this yes. movie. Um, I do have to tell you uh, before we start talking about the movie that in in nineteen ninety one, uh, and I think it was just sh I, I was doing a play in New York City at a in a toilet on Lower Death Street, um, uh, and I I credit John Guare with that phrase um, for for the kinds of theaters we've all done plays in in New York. Yes. And uh, it was an evening of one act, and I played uh, in the, the couple that I was in, I played opposite Lisa Roberts, Julia's older sister. And opening night, we're having the party on the stage at the theater. Everybody's there in the theater mingling about on the stage for the opening night party. And uh, there's a little tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and there's julia roberts and she says hi excuse me um i'm julia roberts and and it was all i could do to not just say duh mm -hmm. because i think she had just been on the cover of gq magazine as the first woman ever to be on the cover of gq uh, until then it was always men and then she was you know her star had just exploded and you're nothing if not known as a gq fan so obviously <laughs> you'd be 
Yeah, but I mean, just that's just to give an idea of how huge she was at the time. So, I mean, she was at the time. She was the biggest kinda, star in the world. Yeah, who this woman is in this movie, yeah. and and she yet yet she felt she was very quiet and soft spoken and and introduced herself to me as if I might not know. She was a hi, I'm. I'm Julia Roberts. I'm Lisa's older sister. I mean, I'm Lisa's younger sister. I was like, hi, nice, nice, nice to me. Oh, yeah. hi, nice to meet oh, you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, could you get out of here? You're bothering me. Yeah. This like, is a, this, this is, is a private party. party. I don't know what you're, excuse yeah. me. Excuse me. Yeah. Julia. Yeah. Private party. Pardon me. Back <laughs> off a little bit. A little close. Don't yeah. touch me. You're tapping me on the shoulder. Don't. You Calm just, down. Just I know. I know it's hard to, you know, I know don't, I'm hard to resist. Don't but, tell me how uh, to do my job, Julie. I know <laughs> what's going on. But I just think that that was so nice that she was so um, unassuming at the time. Well, you know, I, I've never heard anything but nice things about her. I, I You know, she doesn't have a, a reputation, you know. It's, I've never heard anybody say anything negative. No, me neither. I, I, she seems like a very nice person. And, yeah, uh, I, private. I, she seems kind of private. I wouldn't. I'm sure. She's tried to live a normal life for mm -hmm. hard to do for somebody with that level of yeah. Fame. And I, I've I always wait. thought that she was a better actor than maybe people give her credit for now. Okay. Well, great. We're going to get into this then. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to tell people about a little bit about what this movie's about? Uh, well, sure. Yeah, this movie... I can't. I'll just start crying again. So <laughs> okay, you know, okay, it'll be embarrassing. This movie is about a um, an ordinary guy. We'll, we'll get into this. I won't comment on the movie until later. <laughs> okay. It's about an ordin an ordinary guy, um, <laughs> kind of a guy who's been unlocking in love, who lives in a kind of bohemian part of London. And he runs a travel bookstore that is not doing very good business. And he lives with a a uh, a rather crazy, artistic, uh, club going um, Welshman who is um, you know your classic kind of like roommate from hell, but who you love anyway. Right. And this movie might take place in your neighborhood if it was in New York. Absolutely, it feels very much actually like kind of a New York movie in a, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and uh, he he is working at his bookstore one day and in walks the biggest movie star in the world, played by Julia Roberts. Her name in the movie is, uh, that's where I'm going to get lost. Emma, uh, Emma Stone. Right. Anna Scott. <laughs> and um, she's playing someone, like Matthew said, very much like herself. She's making a movie in London and just happens to be interested in, in coming into this bookstore, as you do. And um, they have a kind of a meet-cute moment where they can't really, you know, talk to each other like normal people because it's an awkward situation. But they depart. She departs. And later, they happen to run into each other again, and he spills his orange juice all over her. And it's a big disaster and a big mess. And she's very kind of upset about it. And he's trying to make amends and says, why don't you come over to my apartment and clean up, but use a phone, whatever you need to do. I'm literally across the street. So she kind of hesitantly agrees to go over. He recognizes her, but he's not 
as he said in the opening narration, which is always, always a good idea to explain the movie to me before it starts. Um, Cause there was just so much vital information that I got out of it that I couldn't have seen, but um, he's a, he describes himself as somebody who doesn't really know. He knows who she is. She, he's admired her as, as this beautiful woman in pictures and stuff, but he doesn't really have a, an investment in being a fan of hers or anything like that. He's not really into the kinds of movies she does. We get the or film. any movies really. He doesn't seem to right. be interested in pop culture of any kind. He's right. more bookish. Yeah, and so um, that you know they they have a little chemistry. She she agrees to go over, cleans up. They have some chemistry, and and then cute romantic things ensue. Uh, phone right. number. Oh, I lost the phone number. She's been waiting for a couple days. My stupid roommate. He did this. He botched this. Got the name wrong. I get in there. He's got to pose as a reporter accidentally. So there's a little kind of like low key Pink Panther stuff going on where he's got to like pretend to be people that he's not in order to be near her because she can't let this be out that you know maybe that she's, she's seeing her. a commoner. Yeah. So it's this, uh, you know, this classic kind of, I would say, uh, very Shakespearean-minded, uh, consciously Shakespearean comedy about a, a common man and a high-bred woman, and can they can they, the craziness that it ensues when their lives try to try to get together? Okay, is that great. a fair assessment? I think that's a very fair assessment. Um. So my questions are, I'll start off by going, what's your, what's your history with this movie? Uh, other than having met Julia uh, Louis-Dreyfus, and I don't know what that has to do with yes. it. And General Grant. I never uh, met General Grant. So you met Julie, Julia Roberts, but other than that, did you see this movie when it came out? I didn't see it when it came out. It came out in 1999, um, and I was very busy then. Uh, at night I was in a long a show that ran for a long so I don't believe I saw this um uh, well, I suppose I could have gone to a matinee but I had I had a young child and uh was as you did in the day going to my voiceover auditions during the day and going to do my show at night and I didn't see a lot of movies at that time uh so I believe I saw this when it came out um on um what was that stuff called? Vid vid videotape it mm -hmm. came out on uh, yeah. a store called Blockbuster. I yeah. think. I, I think that's when I saw it, and um, and I and I I remember liking it. I remember enjoying it. Um, revisiting it to me um, has been actually a lot of fun because, um, well, two reasons. Uh, one, I'm a I'm a I'm a sap. I, I, I cry at Hallmark commercials. I cry at how I met your mother. Um, there's something about, you know, just fun, heartfelt, sappy love stories that just get me. Um, and my kids know this, they will be watching something and they'll look over at me. They're like going, Oh, dad's going to start crying now. You know? And I, I just do, I, I don't exactly know why. Um, love stories. Love stories. Primarily. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Love stories just they, they get me. Um even ones that aren't sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, particularly often when they're happy, uh, I will I will lose it. Um uh 
but also revisiting it and looking at it, trying to look at it critically because I wanted to step back and say, okay, forget your feelings about the genre and your love of this kind of story. Did they do something a, more interesting than just that with this movie? And, and I think in some ways they, they did, um, which, which we can get into when we start talking about the characters. Uh, um, but I'm, uh, b before I start defending it, I, 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 uh, I'm, or I, I guess, uh, which way should we go? Like I can make a case for this movie. I, th I think. Well, you know, honestly, I can too. I think the easiest thing for me is just to get off my chest, my, my main problem and yeah. central issue. Okay. Which is, I'm which curious. Is Hugh, Hugh Grant. You don't like Mr. Grant. I, I like, I, I'm, I can't say that. I like his work in certain things. Okay. I don't fall for him as a romantic lead. I okay. don't find him sympathetic enough. Uh -huh. A person, um, for whatever reason, uh, to watch be sad about his sad life before this movie started. And it got me off to a wrong, on a wrong foot with the guy. I had a problem. The only problem I have with the movie really is that it's happening to a guy that I don't really think deserves it. No, <laughs> because I think they're only saying the only thing about him that I mean, he's a nice guy, I, I guess, but we don't really get to know how deep that goes necessarily because he's very guarded and he's got that very British kind of, you know, kind of guarded emotionality to him. Here's here's the thing I felt. I wanted him to have a life that he liked somewhere the bookstore didn't make him happy he right. seemed to be slumming it in notting hill was his attitude like he was like oh look at these poor artist craftsmen who i live by i'm like you're don't have any money either guy so just start you know you're actually here and i felt like he just seemed to be a little above all of it in a way that was not endearing to me and didn't his love of travel wasn't expressed in anything other than him owning a bookstore. So he had no soul. All he was, was a sad guy who was divorced and now thought he wasn't going to have love again, but that wasn't enough for me to care whether he did. Ah, do you see my point at all? I, I, I do, but I, I do. think it's possible to watch this movie and let yourself just be a stand, just him be a stand in for you. Or, a, or oneself. And if you like that kind of movie, then you don't really need a lot of character from, from that character. You just need to insert yourself there, right? Right, yeah. Maybe he works for people in that way. Like he's a blank enough canvas there to just mm -hmm. pretend you're him. I don't know. But he doesn't, I, I, he's not uh, sympathetic. Well, that's really interesting what, what you just said, because I, I hadn't thought of that. And I think, I think there's, there's two things going on there for me. One is, yes, I totally agree because, and and I think in some ways, I don't know if this was purposeful on the on the on the point of view of the on the on the on the part of the 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 filmmakers, but it is told from his point of view. So so 
it is it's supposed to be happening to us from his perspective not hers right so so yeah i do step into his shoes and i'm like oh i'm the nice unsuccessful lonely guy to whom this could happen um uh which to me makes it kind of the the, the sappiest kind of wish fulfillment nonsense that so that men romance like it's like what they can see like i know there's great gold in romance novels but there's also right. a lot of kind of crappy literature there yeah for for some people you know a great romance novel something they seek out and they really mean something to them other people just want the experience of like just give me just give me the iv drip of romance i don't really care like how right. how it's meted out um and i did you know i for for me to want to see somebody with her i felt like this his lack of soul represented trouble on the rocks for them later on like mm. i did i he, if he if he had something that he really even if he was still sad and lonely but he he was like passionate about what he loved even though it wasn't successful um i like he's kind of offhand about his books. He's kind of like flippant about describing his books to people. He's, he's right. But I felt uh, for me, I felt like he had, I, I felt like this was a, a, as you say, a nice guy who was in this place of uh, that he had already lost at the game of life and love and where, it, where it comes, where it comes home for me is that that he is coasting through life with this not very good bookstore but i feel like he's lost faith in himself and in a future because of his wife having left him and they don't hammer home but when he when when he finally says to her in the scene where she comes back and he turns her down and he turns her down and says i i don't think i could survive if what you're offering me doesn't work, I couldn't survive to me said, here's a guy who's, you know, given up. Yeah. In a lot I, of ways. I, I agree. I agree. But, but you're asking me to really be happy that they get married at the end of this movie. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and I, well, I, don't watch or listen to our show. Like I agree with you. 100 percent that's that doesn't make up for the fact that those things make me anxious for their future because i find her a much more you know she's she's got problems she's she's a little uh, you know fiery and she's a little selfish she's <laughs> a horrible person a lot of she times in pretty movie. badly um and uh i think I can, you know, we can all relate to being in relationships or, or falling for people like that or getting treated like that. So, and I think they capture that, that vibe pretty well, you know, in the movie, uh, you know, I don't want to harbor too much grief on it because this is just, it's a Hugh Grant thing. I, I really feel like the movie for me would have kicked into a completely higher gear if, if either Dylan Moran or, or Rice Ephens had been that character instead gotcha okay. and if there was see this is like to me to me Hugh Grant's playing John Cleese he's a John Cleese type Englishman and this movie needed a Michael Palin 
gotcha. both can be sad, but I don't care if John Cleese gets married at the end of the movie. And I okay. and, and I didn't really hear. Okay. I'm just so happy to hear you call that actor Rice Ephens because I was going to call him Reese Ephens. I Maybe had no idea. Ephens. I could. I could <laughs> name that we're mangling the both of us here. Maybe Peter Stray will will Peter. give us a call and let us know how to pronounce that. He will scold us. We we really don't know how to pronounce. He's a great he'll say, actor. He's, he'll say that's actually pronounced Scott Murgatroyd. Yes. Do you know how to read? <laughs> Yeah, um, because so, that's you know I was thinking like you know or 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 um, you know um, I don't know there's there's other actors I feel like could have really won me over to want to see how he was going to he- handle this yeah. and I just felt like Hugh Grant was just going to be kind of a, a a repressed British style repressed guy and how it, about it, Greg how about uh, Greg Kinnear he's the American. Hugh Grant, isn't he? Okay. How about Rory Kinnear? We're um. You know Rory Kinnear? No, I don't. Uh, I, 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 wait, I was thinking of somebody, another Rory. I was thinking of uh, Rory Culkin. Oh, okay. No, Rory Kinnear, a British actor, um, who would have fit right in with the the group of friends in this in this movie. Um, all right. Um. Well, okay, I will. I, I, I can hear what you're saying and take it in and not, not feel too ashamed of myself. Well, I mean, honestly, that's my big thing. I, I, I mean, okay, I also, I feel like there could have okay. been 30 minutes less montage and then, you know, and less jukebox hits from the Motown era, which I don't understand. I, I don't, what is Bill Withers singing about here? Why are we watching? Why, why am I listening to Bill Withers, one of the greatest artists of the, the musical recordings of the 20th century and, and watching Hugh Grant be sad in a nice shirt. Like I didn't understand this world, <laughs> okay. but there are wonderful things about the movie. All right. And, and you know, uh, if, if it had been uh Reisel Iphen in the part, <laughs> <laughs> playing both parts i would have liked probably enjoyed it more okay see i i was a little bit afraid coming into this conversation because um you you like movies i thought you were going to say something like i like kandinsky and and <laughs> and paul clay and and uh matisse and you, Matthew, like paintings of a bowl of fruit. You like dogs playing poker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, you know, look, this is a genre movie. You know, genre movies are, are they're a special breed. It's not an art movie. And it's, it's I think I would have... I, I I would have been in love with this movie if it had been a little bit more of an art movie. I could I, I like movies like this. I just feel that the rom com yeah. it becomes a rom and let's let's use the the word rom com as a as the bad version of romantic comedy. So rom com yeah. to me is a is a kind of a emotional just push buttons, put a song in, make you cry, make them on oh, time. Yeah, and they that. are clearly they they set out to make a hit. Well, yeah, and they do it by by relying on a lot of sappy tropes rather than anything really inject it with something brand new. 
So in that way, it's a tried and true genre movie. It's hitting all the buttons. It start the movie starts with a montage of her with music. I mean, it starts that way. And I felt like there for a two hour movie where I'm feeling like I don't know enough about the main character to know whether I want him to succeed at his quest or not. Right. And we have some more like less montage to just tell me I'm supposed to like him and more writing and more, more character there. Um, that was the, so i so i think like that's 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 where it's not philadelphia story it's like it relies on things as crutches a lot and right. that being said though it's a it's a really beautifully shot movie and it's it's a thoughtfully designed movie and um and it it it's uh you know i think that the the filmmakers are really interested in 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 honoring this shakespearean um tradition with it did you feel that from it as i got i mean i think the writer was clearly trying to kind of emulate uh, yeah classic shakespearean comedy yeah and if if we take so let's let's take as as a premise that they set out to just as you say punch the buttons and make a hit right there's a song by i believe it's mariana's trench called pop music 101 which is a a, a pop like the worst kind of pop song but the joke of the song, what I love about it is the lyrics are actually like, here's how you write a pop song. And they, it, it's like the, the music version of our poster things in Silverado. Yeah. yeah. They, they write this song that is, here's all the things that go into it. Here's the formula for a pop song. And right. it's this song that gets into your head and you can't stop singing it because it hits all the buttons. Right. And yeah. so if we say that's what these guys set out to make and they did it, what I think would be fun to do is say, okay, that's what, that's the extent of what they were trying to do. But let, let's look at it for a moment and see where did they, where did they do something that gave it any more depth than that? Or where did it really work even on that level? And there, there's a couple of things that I loved is that I loved that they're, they're, meet cute at the beginning they sort of do a fake with it because their first meeting isn't really a meet cute it's just a meet you know in the store and you're waiting for it to be the meet cute and then it's not and she's gone and it's like oh well what's gonna bring them and then he goes out for the orange juice, walks around the corner, slams into her, and then they give us the meat. And I, you know, I liked that they said, let's put a let's put some more effort into it than just because yeah. because I think that a, a lesser writer, a less skillful writer would have her come running into the store because there was a mob of paparazzi after her. And yeah. that's how it would begin. Yeah. But it begins with her coming in there for, for a reason of her own. Um, and, and, and being aside from being Emma Scott or, or Anna Scott standing in for Julia Roberts, you know, the biggest star of the day stunning and gorgeous and inaccessible actually is not all that nice at the beginning. Like what's the deal with her? Um, 
there there's like this assumption on her part that of course you know who i am and of course this would be uncomfortable you know and it it she comes off as really unlikable initially um and i i liked that um yeah i thought that was um smart writing and brave of her to you know to lean into that part of the character because you know um i could see uh, another star wanting to be more liked you know worrying about being more liked in this yeah. and she kind of is so they really push that um another know. place where i thought they had a really wonderful touch is after they have split up in the in the middle of the movie and his friends are trying to set him up with everybody to console him and we have the classic date after date after date with ridiculously horrible women it then ends with a date with Emily Mortimer and she's perfect, you know, well, and she's, she's great. I mean, yeah, she's clearly like the, the, the person best matched for him. And she's a dirt. She seems like a dream herself. In yeah. And she's even called in the credits, perfect woman. Yeah. I mean, she's just, and a woman who, and a woman who any other guy in the audience would be going, dude, yeah. what is wrong with you? Yeah. And, and you'd have a better life with her probably well yeah i mean that's that was that was smart to put that in i'd be really curious to see how this movie plays for um i didn't i saw this movie alone which is a strange thing to, for me to admit and to happen to see this movie by myself during the daytime was was a strange funny that's how thing. i watched it and i will yeah. wager you we we're both sitting alone on our couches during the day watching this movie in separate places we're alone I will wager you that in the the I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her scene, I will bet you money that only one of us was crying and it wasn't you. Uh, I'm not going to take the bet. I'm not going. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That you're that's correct. I wasn't crying at that. That did not I did this movie didn't move me. Okay. I didn't get moved by it. I didn't get my heartstrings weren't tugged. It didn't have that impact on me. I, I admired things about how it was made. Some things made me laugh and I was charmed by some stuff, but I wasn't, I wasn't moved. Were you moved by the relationship between Max and Bella? Uh, okay. I will cop to being, to being somewhat affected by it. I don't, I, I've, you know, when, when I have a little bit of an issue with what I would call maybe a little twee writing. The writing is good, but it's a little cute. It's a little bit polished. It's a little bit, you know, let's just move it along and keep it light. And then sometimes I'll feel a writer uses something like, and they've just had a horrible accident and they're in a wheelchair as a device for me to feel things that they haven't earned in the writing. They've just kind of put there for me as a thing where like, well, you have to feel something now. So I felt a little manipulated by but it. Don't but you think? Don't you think what they were going for was not the sympathy for her for being in a wheelchair, but the the um, what it said about her husband's character? What I'm saying and is that it's an obvious. It was a bit of an obvious. It was a bit of a over the head choice of okay. to, to to do that kind of thing, and and as a stand in again for all the conversations or nice moments between human beings that we could have had if we weren't listening to muddy waters sing a song about something 
<laughs> okay. Whoa. Ow. Okay. No, that's a problem I have with the genre, though. So, like, that's oh, okay. literally a little bit where I can't. I I, I start checking my watch because if you don't like that song or you're not into that artist or that recording of that song, you got three minutes where you're like, this movie is not. It's just not going to work for me. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Um. Uh, a couple of things I want to ask about. Um. What about the um the story that she tells to win the brownie? Where she tries to tell win the brownie. Uh, do you think that story is the saddest or not? I categorically don't feel it's the saddest, but I but I feel it was um nonetheless uh nonetheless she delivered that in a way that made me feel she deserved being heard. You know, she made a she made a, a case for for somebody going, oh, I actually that sounds pretty shitty. Like that doesn't sound great. Your life isn't perfect. Your movie star perfect. and your life isn't perfect. Yeah. Uh, you're right. yeah. I don't think it was the saddest either, but I did like that she brought that moment of honesty to that group of people. Yeah. I think I think um to talk about julie roberts for a second you know um i i don't know if i ever gave her a lot of credit when she was working all the time and and then the biggest star i i didn't have an issue with it but I, a lot of movies of hers i didn't go to because they were maybe rom-coms or i didn't right see that particular kind of movie it wasn't until amelia actually told me she was a fan that she thought she was quite a good actor that i started paying attention because amelia's like a real weather vane for me of like if if someone's being truthful or good to really watch them yeah so I've, I've seen her since hearing that and i have to admit she's really really invested and she's really present emotionally and she's also i think a perfect choice for this movie because she has so much bottled up emotion all the time like her her thing her trademark seems to be like i'm not gonna tell you all this stuff that's going on in me right now Right, because I'm shy, or I'm or I don't want to, or it's not the right time, but it's there, and and it's really there. Like she sells that story, and it's personal, and I, and I thought that was, um, you know, that it it it. I don't, I really can't think of another actor that could have done that, and been charming, and made me go like, well, you should deserve a bite of the of the brownie anyway. Yeah, yeah. What about in terms of the 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 filmmaking? What were there moments that stand out to you in a positive way? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, like I said, I think the movie's really well shot and it's it's really well designed. These are really great, you know, technicians and artists working behind the, the camera, I think. You know, I mean, Michael Coulter was a cinematographer and he did things like, you know, Sense and Sensibility and um, and he did Love Actually and, and a lot of things. He did Mansfield Park, um, a, a lot of really different kinds of films. The production designer also is big deal. I'm looking up his right name right now because I didn't write him down. Production designer Stuart Craig, who did, you know, the English Patient and Harry Potter movies and stuff. He's a big deal. So that's it's not just a pedigree thing. There were touches in this movie that I was really struck by. For well, instance, and it was a mammoth undertaking making this movie. To shoot this movie on location where they shot it. Yeah. Yeah. 
They um, had to write to something like 2,000 people to get permission to shoot in that neighborhood and um, the way they shot. And they gave donations to over 200 charities. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised. Um, and uh, when and they, it pays off because the neighborhood becomes a character in the movie. Well, it does. It does. But I mean, I'm even talking about, I mean, yes, that's all true. But when I noticed, for instance, like, oh, there's some stuff going on camera-wise, storytelling-wise that I appreciated was, like, in the bookstore. Mm -hmm. When she comes in the first time, you don't really see her face. You just kind of see her. She's a bit out of focus, and she comes in, and she stands behind, half behind a bookshelf. So you don't really know if it's her or not. He looks, and his POV, uh, they throw in a slightly longer lens, and the only book that you see is a stack of books called Voyage in front of her that's blocking her. Ah, the title, and they're big. The titles of the book are like right in your in your face. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is the this they're telling us subliminally, this is the entrance to the voyage that he's taking. Oh, great. and sure it's a travel bookstore, but it wasn't a book on Spain or anything else. Right. It said voyage on it. And then when she makes her exit, right. And you think, oh, this isn't the meet cute, like you say. They button it by, she leaves, and you see the door sign that usually would say closed because the front, it, the store's open, right. so the front would say open. We see closed, but they obviously didn't want to do that. It says back in five back in minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, they're, they know what they're doing. Like, they're really, the whole team is making this movie together, and there's a lot of really cute, wonderful things like that in the movie, I thought. so. Well, because of that, I want to ask you a question, because I couldn't figure this out completely. But because everything like that was so intentional, what is up with the giant geisha poster that is featured over and over again in his apartment? Is it is it showing like some fantasy ideal of femininity versus this fiery, you know, fiery, hard to handle, not subservient woman that he ends up falling in love with? Is it a juxtaposition um, of those? Because she's the opposite of a geisha, right? Ge oh, geisha sure. is there to serve your needs and be unnoticeable and do whatever you need them to do all the time, right? And she's <laughs> not that. No, right. That's a really interesting point. I noted that poster and I was wondering myself what the choice was behind it. It's in a couple of shots, mostly of his roommate is where it shows up. Yeah. And um, I'm but it's right there that. at the, the entrance. To the, sorry. It's right there at the entrance to the apartment. Yeah. And there's so many scenes that take place right yeah. there. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, you're right that it has something to do with, you know, female power or how men view women or something like that. To me, I, I always look at the set dressing as some kind of um, tell for the character's psychology of the people that live there. Right. And so I guess I related it to you know, the inner fantasy life that he has about how exciting, you know, his life could be, how crazy and wonderful his life could be in his imagination, but that he never really does it because he runs a bookstore. And right. so the fact that he has snorkel gear that he doesn't use, the fact that, he, that, that, that he's got, there's these little tells that he's got a, an exciting inner life. Um, and so I, you know, and you don't know if they really, that's his poster or his, or his 
roommate's poster. Right. But either way, it's in their home. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I thought I was really struck by that too. Um, what about in talking about this cinematography, there's one sequence that I love and that I use in class and uh, I've used it in class for a long time, but n this time through, I loved it even more because I noticed something else about it. It's the shot of the way they shoot the scene where he is telling them that he turned them, turned her down. But then I noticed this time through that right before that scene, when he turns her down, they're interrupted. And when he comes back, he says, I'm sorry about that. And she says, that's okay. There's always a pause while the jury considers its verdict. And then we cut to the scene that's shot like a courtroom scene where he is presenting yeah. his case of why and they're he all subjectifying him and staring at him. And they're the yeah. jury. Yeah. And it's shot like a courtroom scene mm -hmm. with him making his case and the shots of the jury and then the shots from behind the jury, the camera panning behind the jury yeah. um, of the lawyer as the lawyer's making his closing statement. It's really good. That's a, yeah. Good notice on your part. I love that. Yeah. Um, there's, it's a really, it's really well made, you know, I mean, it, it, it really is. Um, and it still, it still has these moments where I, 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 I wish it could, I wish it, I think it could have been smarter. I feel like it could have been, you know, um, a little, a little bit, you know, edgier. He could have been, a, the main character could have been a little bit more interesting to me. And I, and I just would have liked it that much more and it would have had all this stuff too um but um you know they didn't let it they didn't let it bog them down there was there was things that i i laughed out loud at things i was surprised uh, i think i know one line that you laughed out loud at which one at the dinner when they passed the plate to one of his dates and they say i can hardly get it out they say woodcock <laughs> and she says no thanks i'm a fruitarian Yes, I did laugh. <laughs> I did laugh at that. Um, she, there's another thing which I noticed. I looked at the script, and this isn't in the script, but it's in the movie. And and I'm wondering if it was Julia Roberts' idea or the director's. It's a lovely moment. It's when they when they break into that park and they find that bench that that has the plaque on it you know the so like from emily to robert who always sat you know for emily and Ro who always sat together or whatever mm -hmm. and and she and in the script it says she looks at they look at it and we the camera rises up to the stars or something like that is what it says in the script but in the in the movie what happens is she looks at it and is so obviously moved and then she she sits down on the bench and I felt like it was such an actory, not an actory moment, like something, but something that an actor would do of like, I'm going to try and sit on the bench and conjure for myself, you know, what was the life that these people had that I could never have and I've never experienced. And, and it was so touching to me that I felt like she's trying to contact that kind of yeah relationship yeah um and i and i wondered if that was her because i thought it was a really smart um any performances that really jumped out at you 
Oh yeah, plenty. I, I really, you know, I, I really enjoyed his family or, or, you know, his, his, his friends, his, they were great. You know, that dinner party was wonderful. Um, I guess I particularly liked, is it, um, you know, I liked, uh, James Dreyfus, I think his name is, and and uh, uh, Richard. Oh, who who was playing? Who was the guy that who didn't know uh, who she was for the longest time? Oh Mark. yes, um, that is. Um, I think that is. Uh, uh, that's Richard McCabe, I believe. Is Tony, that Richard right? McCabe? Okay, he was fantastic. All that, that you know, all of them. His friend, uh, you know, who was um, who was or there. was that Max? That might be Tim McInerney. No, Max is Bella's husband. Well, I liked Tim McInerney a lot. I liked um, Bella. You know, the woman who played Bella was great. Gina McKee is fantastic. She's great. I've seen her in so many things. You know, right? Rice hyphens. Let's say it's Reese hyphens. Ifans. I don't know who played Spike. He's Rishavins. Rishavins. I mean, he's fantastic. I, yeah. I, I like this guy a lot. He, you know, there's another film that their director did uh, called Enduring Love, which is really worth it. Uh, it stars Daniel Craig and uh, Rice Ifans and Rishavins. Um, and it's great. It's really good. It's before Bond and it's like a really interesting kind of drama thriller great movie um okay he's great in that i always love him um i i you know i i i was uh i was pleased by the by the ensemble what one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is is from um it, it's from uh oh now i'm forgetting the characters martin James Dreyfus, who plays Martin, the, the the gentleman who works at the bookstore with him. Oh, he's great, yeah. When he's left alone with her and he fixes his hair, <laughs> it's just such a great, great moment. We don't... we American actors in smaller parts aren't willing, in general, to go that far. No. Um, and Not unless you're Stanley Tucci, as we've discussed. <laughs> as we've discussed, yes. I want to give a shout out to um, somebody who's appeared in a bunch of films in small roles, the comedian and genius Dylan Morin, who plays uh, the guy who's trying to steal the book in his pants. Oh, he's spectacular. Love that scene. If you don't know Dylan's stand-up, you should check it out because mm -hmm. he's one of the funniest, one of the funniest guys on the planet. Uh, he's great. I loved it. I loved that whole bit. And that was actually like that whole bit of like, you have it down your trousers. And he goes, no, I don't. <laughs> like, well, what would you like me to do? Because, well, I'd like you to either clean either. it off and put it back on the shelf or buy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very good writing. There's also an actor who has a very small part. He's at the table of 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 snotty businessmen who are talking about her oh, who are trash talking who, her who uh, remember i think it was last week i talked about this actor who i admire so much from one of my cop shows sanjeev baskar mm -hmm. um who was on unforgotten uh now obviously much older than in this movie and since retitled remembered or misremembered <laughs> Mis no it's called unforgotten which is remembered let's which i is, think that season two is remembered it's remembered 
yes. Um, oh my God. Um, what about, um, oh, the, I do have to say, uh, a very dear friend of mine, Bo Baker, who is a sound mixer. Yeah, I know Bo. You know Bo. He's got a huge pet peeve with this movie. Oh, because you don't give the cans to anybody on the set just hanging around. Well, and if you do, they don't, you, 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 you're the sound mixer. When people are not shooting, you pull the, the, yeah. the level, the levels down, you know? And he told, I called him this. So morning. it wasn't the Bill Withers montage. It was that. It was that. that, that, that bothered him. Yeah. Uh, Cause he tells a story apparently, and I don't know if this is true or not, but there's a story about um, Robert De Niro on a set. Um across the street from where the camera was set up at a, you know, getting a soda or something like that. And he, from across the street, he goes, sound check, sound check. And the sound guy goes, gives him a thumbs up. And Robert De Niro went and had the guy fired. <laughs> Cause he's like, he should not freaking be, you know, I am not on camera. He should be putting the levels down. And that's and, and that's Bo, a brutal story. That's yeah, that's tough, man. And and Bo said we take that crap really, really seriously. When you're mic'd, we yeah. are not listening to you unless you're on camera. For those of you uh, listening, the, this is referring to a, a device that they use at the end of the movie, which uh, is not quite believable, as it turns out. Not completely realistic. Not completely believable. Yeah. So, um, what would what would you uh? have as your double feature with this movie i thought a lot about it my double bill is the movie scream <laughs> no for real and not not i'm not being like i'm actually being serious okay why because i believe that they both uh, approach the genre in a similar knowing way and they subvert it in in interesting ways while delivering an incredibly satisfying genre experience nonetheless to the fans it's exactly what you think it is but it's not what you think it is okay all right i like that i'm disappointed in that i thought that was i thought no, i i do wow. i like it i think it's okay. good i What's think the it's double good. Bill? um well you know once again you have gone for the much subtler intel more intelligent you know thoughtful approach just like to this thing there's another pretty lady in a movie, so that one. No, I went. I what I did was I did Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> so you picked the anti Notting Hill. The, the, yeah, the anti Notting Hill. The, you right. would watch like the most wonderful sappy love story, and then you would watch yeah. a love story between people you just really don't want to run into. I just realized that you have to know that I'm being honest with you because if I didn't like this, that I would have led with I'm nodding off. So Ooh, wow. Ooh. Yeah, I was ready to go, but I didn't decide to say it. Today went much better than I thought it would go. Um can I say my favorite line? Yeah, please. Because I, I love the line. I love the fact that when he gets uh the and he enters to her hotel suite and finds that there's a big publicity junket yeah. happening and he has to pretend to be a reporter, he decides to be a reporter from the horse and hound, which yes. is very funny. And then he says to another reporter, "Is like, well, he says, why do you have flowers? Because he was bringing them for her. Right. And he tries to cover by saying, well, I'm bringing them to my, my mother who's in the hospital down the way. And the guy goes, can I ask you which hospital? And he's like, 
do you mind my not saying it's a rather dist distressing disease and the name of the hospital sort of gives it away. <laughs> that was I, my one Hugh Grant like moment where I thought he totally hit it out of the park. Well, I, I have that whole sequence down as one of my favorite sequences in the movie because him, him valiantly trying to continue the charade, if I may say it that way, you can say that um, of being a reporter with the horse and hound and having backed him. And then the, the, the joy that she takes in sort of forcing him to go to continue it every time her manager walks into the room yeah, and he has to continue down that road is um, and when he says something, you are horse and hounds favorite favorite star uh next to black beauty <laughs> you know, like... there's some really there's some choice dialogue in it man it's, yeah it's got some great funny stuff how how would you recast this movie um to be honest didn't get very far with that vis-a-vis -vis the craziness uh okay but i but i think i'm gonna i'm gonna really stop and say i would really love to see you know Honestly, I'd like to see Rice Ifans or Reese Ifans or Rishifans uh, play the Hugh Grant part or or Dylan Morin or, you know, uh, another another English actor who um, or British or, you know, UK actor that had some soul, had some more soul. That's that's really my my big ask and how I would recast it. Okay. Um, how about you? Well, I, I've I thought it's hard to think about anybody other than Julia Roberts playing this role because it it has to be somebody who carries that iconic um, weight with them, you know. And there aren't there haven't been a lot of movies, you know. You have to think back to Audrey Hepburn or Grace Kelly to think of somebody who's got that kind of instant ma i can't think of anybody now who's that um, you know the thing is i think they're probably examples but we're too old to know who they are probably yeah i mean uh, probably so somebody I, like Aaliyah, you know right so i went the other way and cast it with who you just would would like <laughs> so i cast it with casey affleck and katherine heigl wow <laughs> right God. So like an actor who you're saying, an actress who you're saying, I do not understand why that person is a star. And this person is kind of not very, and the guy is just the guy not might be a serial killer. I don't yeah. know if it might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought that would be just a really, like that would be a train wreck of a love story. It would almost be re like redesigning it as an erotic thriller. Yeah. 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 Notting Hill tonight at eleven. Yeah, Naughty Hill. Naughty Hill. <laughs> Naughty Hill. Um, and uh, I, I also want to give uh, some shout outs to brilliant performance by Matthew Modine. Some of his best work in years. That hat alone was priceless. Alec Baldwin as Alec Baldwin, wonderful. Yes. Um. Oh, I loved, and I'm, I'm sure you noticed it that they managed to do a mashup 
this is the first time I've ever seen what I think is a mashup homage and the or or reference to another movie and the mashup is they mashed up 2001 and Barbarella into one movie sequence they kind of did which I thought was was sort of like letting us know very clearly this is the kind of star she is and the kinds of movies she's making now yeah could have um, been a nod to aliens or alien as well was that out already when when did those come out when that was uh, you're looking at me for those of you enjoying this on the podcast anthony is looking at matthew as if he's a moron <laughs> alien had been out for 15 years I <laughs> We have to do you have to you have to do those commentary in 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 tennis in tennis tennis announcer voice. Matthew Matthew is a moron. Matthew is regrouping after suggesting that Alien was a movie that came out in the nineteen nineties. <laughs> um, but um, the fact that she has on like a, a or you know sort of a Barbarella kind of wig. And and but that it's clearly two thousand and one. Yes. Um, I love that. And then and then the fact that at the end she's making a uh, a um, who's who's that writer? Pride and Prejudice. Jane Austen. She's making a Jane Austen movie at the end. Oh, that's right. It's a Jane Austen. Yeah. yeah. After he, he he you know spoke to her about that and he takes that in. It's like oh she's getting more serious now. Mm -hmm. I had a, um, all right. Um, but other people I actually legitimately want to give shout outs to is the concierge at the Ritz. <laughs> Are you imagining who this person is? He says, yes, I think I have them firmly in mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, and, and then his reaction to being kissed by Rishifans, um, mm. uh, w just wonderful. Um, and, uh, and the the gentleman who who insists on looking for books other than travel books in the travel <laughs> bookstore was, was spectacular. I loved his choice of like because I was thinking of how as an actor how would you play somebody that dumb? Yeah, and I'm like he's not dumb. He's distracted. Like he's just yeah. simply not paying attention. <laughs> it was great. I thought he was terrific. Definitely, so definitely that part would have been one of you or I would have been oh, the visitor to the bookstore. Okay, that's not who I had you as and, and me as. I thought you would be the chef, the friend. I was just going to say that. The chef who does it, who's introduced in the opening narration and has no role, really. No role, this. except for a scene like when his restaurant is closing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We missed the whole restaurant part of it. Um, and then I thought I might be the concierge. I would buy that. Um, what... Um, do you know that approximately 90 minutes were cut out of this movie? I think you would have liked it much more because I think, I think the, the material in that 90 minutes might've addressed some of the criticisms. Perhaps, perhaps they would have thrown in a couple of ABBA songs or something too, <laughs> to really, you know, round it out. Okay. Did you go and get the al the soundtrack album? On CD. On this? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great soundtrack. It is, that's my jam. 
Um, well, I think uh, I think we've covered everything that uh, I, I'm just glad that I'm I I got out of this without I'm not bleeding. Hey, look, it's a charming movie. It's 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 a it's a it's a nice light souffle, a, a, a trifling little bobble of a movie, you know, made by some talented people um, and uh, and trying to elevate uh, elevate the genre, I think, with the, with um, some interesting theme like Shakespearean themes and some, you know, discussions about fate and the gods and philosophy. And, uh, and um, that uh, I was down with that. I like that. Oh, good. God, I feel I feel somewhat vindicated. You did not ruin my month yet. You're you're not you're gonna get there. I, I think I'll get yet. there at the end. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So next week, please join us for How to Steal a Million yeah. with the incredible Audrey Hepburn and the fantastic Peter O'Toole. Can't wait. It's gonna be a good one. See you next week. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to arkinbros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know. 